Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. Good morning, Yuma. This is Sean Garner. I'm an attorney with Deason, Garner, Hanson, and this is Life, Death, and the Law. It's Monday, July 11th. Hopefully you had a fantastic 4th of July last week and celebrated the independence of this great nation. I'm in studio here with Cody Beeson, and this morning we have a great show for you. We're going to be talking about energy that we all need and that uh, provides for our quality of life, and how we currently get that energy and some alternative means to continue to supply that energy on into the future. But Cody, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. I love these discussions, by the way. Although it's like, how is it related to estate planning? There is a tie back into the law, back into the Constitution, back into what we should be doing legally and things. So I just love having the uh, the conversation and, and kind of going full circle here. Well, and, and it's a fantastic question. And you know, um, I just got back from a family reunion. It was my wife's family. And so we went up to Utah, we visited with all of our aunts, uncles, and cousins, and we discussed, you know, uh, what we do as a career, each of us, and we kind of went through and mingled. And I talked about how I'm an estate planning attorney, but one of my favorite parts of the job is this, being on air and being able to um, have this weekly show where I can discuss things that are important to me. And they say, well, okay, but how does that deal, how, how does that relate back to your business? And I said, well, that's a great question. Originally, we started the show because we wanted to educate people about how estate plans can really save a lot of heartache in the long run. And that promotes our business. We, we provide estate planning services. And so um, the idea is that we'll get some clients out of it. But how it evolved, and we do we do get clients out of it. I do get people walking in the door. I don't know if they would have walked in the well, door anyway and, and recognized my voice because they just happened to listen to the radio. I, I mean, for me, I think it's you're here every day, day in and day out. You've been doing this for years, and you know, you're in the community where you see other options for these type of services. They they come in, they offer you a, ch- a chicken dinner, and then they're gone the next day. <laughs> so, I mean, the fact that you're still on week after week talking to the community, bringing things up, sharing about your family, just kind of goes to show like you're invested in Yuma. Yeah, you know, I live here, my commute to the um, office which I work at is two minutes. It's, it's five if, if I hit the, the light wrong. Right. But um, yeah, we work off of 32nd Street and 6E. It used to be a Foothills Bank, and we purchased the building. Uh, so yeah, we have a very vested um, firm interest here. And uh, then my house is built right down the street. And so I'm not going anywhere. Uh, it, it would take a lot. It would take the Colorado River drying up for me to leave. <laughs> Um, I don't want to talk more about that because that's kind of a gloom. Oh topic. well, I mean, yeah, if you're into boating, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You'd but, just be more in the sand, you know. Well, yeah. Um, but so, so I like talking about what helps people in general make their lives better. Um, it it's been a huge switch, and and it's increased my quality of life when I was able to switch over from litigating disputes between families or businesses to assisting business partners and families in addressing what those disputes could be in advance and making planning or business 
um, organizations work well, and so they succeed, and the legacy continues. And that is so much more satisfying and fulfilling at the end of the day than um, counting in six-minute increments and billing my clients to uh, sue their neighbor, their business partner, or their, their brother. So that, that's why we got on the show. What we do now and, and, and what continues to fuel this, uh, this passion that I have is I like talking about relevant issues for our nation's legacy, for the legacy of our community, this wonderful community in Yuma, also this wonderful state of Arizona that we live in, but more so for this amazing uh, enzyme to the nation, which is the United States of America. And to get to that, we need to focus on where it was originated and how it originated. So we talk about the pilgrims, you know, of 1620 coming across and settling in Massachusetts and also those that settled in Jamestown in 1619. And we talk about how uh, the two colonies grew together and the 13 colonies eventually developed and revolted against England and became the United States of America. So we, we talk about all that because it's important to understand if we want to continue a great legacy, to understand where we came from and what values served as the foundation of what we currently enjoy. Oh, absolutely. And I want my attorneys to know their history. <laughs> and it shows you do. As your politicians as well. Right, absolutely. You, 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 if your politicians don't understand uh, what gave us the freedoms and the liberties that created the prosperity that we've enjoyed, then um, I don't know that I trust them to create policies that will continue to allow those freedoms to exist. Oh, absolutely. So um, today we're going to be talking a little bit about energy. And to kick off the topic, I want to play... Um, a clip that is from PragerU. You can find it on YouTube. And this is from Mike Mills. He is from the Manhattan Institute of PragerU. And he talks about the true cost of um, quote unquote green energy. And I think it's important to understand this true cost, also the upfront cost to the environment. Right. Because when you're building these batteries and the chips that go into running them, um, there's a lot of rare earth materials that go into the development and, and the, the industries that are required to produce these materials. And so I want to talk about this a little bit. And in fact, um, Matt Mill or Mike Mills, he, he puts it much more succinctly than I do because it's not as if when you buy a hybrid or uh, even a Tesla that is just completely battery operated, it is um, on par with a, a typical um, gas or diesel burning vehicle because they, there are different upfront costs, both to the environment and to the individual and uh, down the line in creating these vehicles. And so a lot of times we measure how green the vehicle is by how much carbon dioxide it puts out. But we also have to measure how much um, impact there is to the environment in general in creating the green vehicle if you really want to have an accurate discussion about which one is better overall. How do you measure that when, when there's a kid in Africa pulling the, the materials out of the ground with a stick? Yeah. How do you measure the impact, you know? You, you know, and, and there, there, there's been um, a lot of, 
YouTube videos I've seen out there um, going against and basically boycotting Tesla because they don't like all of the rare earth materials that are necessary for the batteries that and there's a big documentary about how it has increased the child labor and and provided a market for child labor in these underdeveloped countries in Africa and and they show these kids hauling these big rocks and their life expectancy is like 40 years it's it's really sad and and they're blaming it on Tesla and here's Tesla saying well we're trying to fulfill the need of providing clean, clean energy and um, energy efficient transportation, and we use batteries to do it. Now, where those batteries come from, we allow the market to work. And now, because China has got such favorable, um, I would say, restrictions or the lack thereof and how they acquire those they go and and a lot of times they contract with these these countries or or other companies in these countries with little to no environmental oversight and child labor laws and they get the materials necessary to provide these batteries and then on on our end of it in hollywood and and silicon valley and everywhere that we're seeing these vehicles are nice and shiny and they're perfectly clean but the true history of the vehicle is much more expansive and a little darker. So let me play this video and it'll give you a bit of an insight about the true cost of, of some of the green energy that we're talking about here. Have you ever heard of unobtainium? It's the magical energy mineral found on the planet Pandora in the movie Avatar. It's a fantasy in a science fiction script. But environmentalists think they found it here on Earth in the form of wind and solar power. They think all the energy we need can be supplied by building enough wind and solar farms and enough batteries. The simple truth is that we can't, nor should we want to, not if our goal is to be good stewards of the planet. To understand why, consider some simple physics realities that aren't being talked about. All sources of energy have limits that can't be exceeded. The maximum rate at which the sun's photons can be converted to electrons is about 33%. Our best solar technology is at 26% efficiency. For wind, the maximum capture is 60%. Our best machines are at 45%. So we're pretty close to wind and solar limits. Despite PR claims about big gains coming, there just aren't any possible. And wind and solar only work when the wind blows and the sun shines, but we need energy all the time. The solution, we're told, is to use batteries. Again, physics and chemistry make this very hard to do. Consider the world's biggest battery factory, the one Tesla built in Nevada. It would take 500 years for that factory to make enough batteries to store just one day's worth of America's electricity needs. This helps explain why wind and solar currently still supply less than 3% of the world's energy, after 20 years and billions of dollars in subsidies. Putting aside the economics, if your motive is to protect the environment, You might want to rethink wind, solar, and batteries because, like all machines, they're built from non-renewable materials. Consider some sobering numbers. A single electric car battery weighs about a half a ton. Fabricating one requires digging up, moving, and processing more than 250 tons of earth somewhere on the planet. Building a single 100-megawatt wind farm 
can power 75,000 homes requires some 30,000 tons of iron ore and 50,000 tons of concrete, as well as 900 tons of non-recyclable plastics for the huge blades. To get the same power from solar, the amount of cement, steel, and glass needed is 150% greater. Then there's the other minerals needed, including elements known as rare earth metals. With current plans, the world will need an incredible 200 to 2,000 percent increase in mining for elements such as cobalt, lithium, and dysprosium, to name just a few. Where is all this stuff going to come from? Massive new mining operations, almost none of it in America, some imported from places hostile to America, and some places we all want to protect. Australia's Institute for Sustainable Futures cautions that a global gold rush for energy materials will take miners into remote wilderness areas that have maintained high biodiversity because they haven't yet been disturbed. And who's doing the mining? Well, let's just say that they're not all going to be union workers with union protections. Amnesty International paints a disturbing picture. The marketing of state-of-the-art technologies are a stark contrast to the children carrying bags of rocks. And then the mining itself requires massive amounts of conventional energy, as do the energy-intensive industrial processes needed to refine the materials and then build the wind, solar, battery hardware. Then there's the waste. Wind turbines, solar panels, and batteries have a relatively short life, about 20 years. Conventional energy machines, like gas turbines, last twice as long. With current plans, the International Renewable Energy Agency calculates that by 2050, the disposal of worn-out solar panels will constitute over double the tonnage of all of today's global plastic waste. Worn-out wind turbines and batteries will add millions of tons more waste. It'll be a whole new environmental challenge. Before we launch history's biggest increase in mining, dig up millions of acres in pristine areas, encourage childhood labor, and create epic waste problems, we might want to reconsider our almost inexhaustible supply of hydrocarbons, the fuels that make our marvelous modern world possible. And technology is making it easier to acquire and cleaner to use them every day. The following comparisons are typical and instructive. It costs about the same to drill one oil well as it does to build one giant wind turbine. And while that turbine generates the energy equivalent of about one barrel of oil per hour, the oil rig produces 10 barrels per hour. It costs less than 50 cents to store a barrel of oil or its equivalent in natural gas, but you need $200 worth of batteries to hold the energy contained in one oil barrel. Next time someone tells you that wind, solar, and batteries are the magical solution for all our energy needs, ask them if they have an idea of the cost to the environment. Unobtainium works fine in the movies, but we don't live in the movies. We live in the real world. I'm Mark Mills, Senior Fellow at the Manhattan Institute for Prager University. It's sobering. It's, it's a little bit disturbing. And the fact that we don't hear about this from the people that are pushing this green agenda is angering, um, or maddening, I should say. I don't know if angering is a word. Um, but it, it is maddening because they're not being forthright in the true cost to the environment. If they are true environmentalists, then why aren't we learning about all of this huge environmental impacts of what's going on? Now, if you caught some of those statistics, and he rambled off a lot of them, right. but your battery that weighs a half a ton that you need to now get changed out required 
50 tons of raw material to create. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, 50 it, tons for one battery. And I thought we've talked about it in the past, like, you know, just to get that that solar farm set up or that wind farm, set, the windmill, it costs more energy to consume or to, to produce the windmill than it'll ever produce in its life. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Do, do you ever think about that when you see those giant windmills being trucked? So how is place? it possible? How are these industries that are creating these windmills making a profit? Um, I don't know. Tax subsidies and... You know, I, I think you do know. Maybe you, you just you just hit it on the head. Tax subsidies. The government. We are paying for it. Yeah. We are paying for the production of these industries that are not self-sustaining. And the reason they're not self-sustaining is because they can't actually have a net positive production. They take more in building it than they actually produce. So why is it that there is such a push, especially from the left, for green energy, so-called green energy, which in reality, it's not green at all. Well, follow the money. I mean, that's that's the basic answer, but follow the money. Follow the money. Who's the, selling carbon credits? Yes, the you know? industries that are already established and have a very good record. Now, that record may be um, up and down and good and bad about how well they've done in being stewards of our environment, and I'm talking about the oil industries and the natural gas industries, but at least there is a record, and there is accountability, and there's also, and the accountability is getting greater with public awareness, but there's also um, a demonstrated profitability for both the people that are working in them, the industries that, uh, the owners, the market share owners, and uh, the economy itself. Now, our economy has gone through, is going through uh, a very difficult time right now because of these high gas prices, because of inflation, and we're pointing all towards Putin. Well, one person is pointing to, towards Putin, Biden is, and, and, and um, blaming him. But why should we allow Russia to dictate our economy, and as goes America, so goes the world, so therefore the world economy, because of his actions. We must have done something drastically um, poor in our planning to allow this country, to this Russia, this country Russia, to affect us so gravely that they could do, make one decision to invade a country and the rest of our economies go south. How is that that we allowed that to happen? Yeah, and th exactly. That's a great question. How is Russia invading Ukraine doubled my gas price? Yeah, seriously, like, like with no end in sight. Yeah, two years ago, I was paying half of what I'm paying today to fill my tank, and 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 that's only the tip of the iceberg because how much it costs to fill your tank is just what it how much it costs to get you to and from work and then wherever you want to go on vacation or you know in in your spare time, but it it also attributes to the cost of our food and we've and we hear this on the media all the time so we don't have to rehash it here in fact the whole point of this show is to bring up topics that you don't hear all the time on on other either social media or uh, general media outlets and i want to know why we allow the policy to be such that one country and, and the decisions of this tyrannical leader could affect all the rest of the world. Why aren't we more independent? Why aren't we better stewards of both our, our policies and, and how we create and use electricity that we all rely on for our for everyday needs? And uh, 
then why aren't we talking about the true costs of these alternative energy sources such as solar, wind, and, and other alternative energy resources? I know there's one um, that is starting to gain some traction and, and, and it's um, the tapping into the power of the ocean and, right. and the different temperatures of the ocean water. Oh, I thought I thought you were going to go with the currents. Well, there's that too. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, putting they they're kind they're, they're um, turbines that are are in the ocean itself and and they allow the currents to to turn the turbines. I haven't seen a whole lot of um, uptick on the movement that way, but what I have seen um, there there was this uh, a pretty good video out there it was narrated by Sigourney Weaver okay she does a great job she's she's so um, her her voice is comforting and and reassuring that uh, what she's what she's talking about is the true solution um, and she talks about the evolution of energy and she says okay well since mankind um, originally discovered fire we've been able to to leverage the output of energy significantly, first using wood, and then um, in charcoal, and then into coal, and then into other more refined fossil fuels like oil and natural gas. And then, um, interestingly, she, she skips right over and she talks about fusion. Now, we talked a little bit on another show about the difference between um, nuclear energy. And nuclear energy is tremendously powerful and surprisingly efficient and clean. Um, and why I say surprisingly is because it's got such a bad name. It's been drugged through the mud um, by a lot of activists. But uh, she skips right over that part, and she goes into talking about how you can um, use the warm waters in the tropics to actually boil substances that have uh, fairly low boiling rates like ammonium okay. and use the steam from that to turn turbines and then what you can do is actually cool it back down by pumping cold water from deeper down in the ocean and essentially you have this closed circuit radiator that is pushing steam up through these turbines, cooling it back down, turning it back into liquid ammonium, and recycling the process. And there is the potential, according to this documentary, that uh, we could create enough energy to uh, power the entire world on, on today's energy consumption um, standards four times over. The logistics problem is an issue because it's, it's only tropical water that allows us to do this. And, of course, the ocean is unstable in that there's a lot of storms and big waves and, and hurricanes. Right. And so we've got to create these floating platforms that do this and not only provide the electricity, but then transport it to the rest of the industrialized world. So we got to go on a break here. This is 560 AM KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law, and we will be back more thought-provoking conversation coming up next on life death and the law right here after this hey you my dave ramsey here if you listen to our show or know anything about us then you know i only recommend products and services i trust 
and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You are listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is Sean Garner. Again, I'm an attorney with Deason, Garner, and Hanson. We do estate planning. We make sure that the legacy that you work on and build for your family is uh, able to continue in spite of your inability to continue your health uh, indefinitely. So we work on documents that help people that you trust be in charge instead of the government, the courts, the uh, default state statutes. So decisions can be made that you would have made by people you trust during your incapacity and a distribution of not only your physical assets, but also your legacy in general can be maintained by the stewards that you trust in either your family or close friend network and make sure that that happens efficiently without a lot of government involvement or even attorney involvement because they both get expensive. Um, so that's what we do. Now, we're, we're turning our attention to today on this show, um, being a good steward of the earth and um, trying to level that with how we continue our quality of life with the energy consumption that requires that we require to maintain day-to-day activity and that we become accustomed to. So we talked a little bit about how green energy isn't as green as it may seem um, on its face and, and, and the politicians, especially on the left, are, are trying to paint because it takes so much natural resources to produce battery or wind or solar electricity. I guess battery doesn't produce, but it stores electricity. And um, we have to take that into account. We also have to take into account the, the massive tax on the environment and humanity. I mean, there, yeah. th- there, there is really um, a human rights question there, when there, it comes to this. There's a cost of human life to it. Yeah, we talk a lot about human rights and that everybody has a specific standard that we need to uphold for human rights and that children um, are the most vulnerable among us. And so we need to look out and and protect them and any other vulnerable um, subsets of the society, we need to look out more particularly for them. And uh, the mining industry that is exploding because of the rare earth materials that are necessary to build both solar panels, uh, wind turbines, and more especially batteries, um, is is turning toward child labor well, in these underdeveloped countries. You don't need skilled, you know, miners for that. So yeah. 
Well, and and honestly, if we if we did it and we focused on um, doing it here in the United States, then we could look at skilled workers and large machinery to do it. But then that would that would put the the true picture and the true cost of the production of that type of energy right on the front page. And that's too ugly for that green movement to bear. Yeah, you can't market that. <laughs> it's not marketable because yeah. there's big pits in the earth and a huge um, oil consuming or gas and diesel consuming vehicles moving tons and tons of earth to produce every battery out there. And, and that's not as uh, palatable as just saying, hey, drive this green car because it, it produces zero CO2 gases. <laughs> right. So um, this video that I was talking about, um, I forget the name of it, and I was, I was searching it, but I'll, I'll put a link to it at the, at the bottom of the show. And it was narrated by Sigourney Weaver. And she suggests that there is a integration of a lot of different alternative energies. She, she talks about the, um, the development of energy over time, how it, we went from wood to to, to uh, charcoal, to coal, to um, gas, and then to nuclear, but she skipped over fission. She skipped over the nuclear power that we've relied on since the 50s and um, the power plants that were built up through the 70s to produce a significant amount of very, relati- relatively speaking, clean energy. And she's, she went and talked about fusion and the potential of fusion. Now that is... Instead of dividing an atom and releasing the extra energy that is released from that atom and capturing that energy in heat, boiling water, and producing electricity, it is combining two atoms. Now, it takes nearly, currently, the only way that we understand to do it is it takes a nuclear reaction. It takes essentially an atom bomb type explosion to create enough force and heat to then fuse two atoms, and they're typically hydrogen um hydrogen yes they're hydrogen atoms and uh, they produce a, a helium atom and the excess energy is released and that is the energy that is produced by the sun that is what the sun is doing every day and so that's that that's our, our energy of the future yes that's our energy of the future but um even on a optimistic viewpoint it's not going to be available in this century so for now, we need to rely on alternatives. And so the alternatives are the wind, the solar, this, this oceanic um, power plant that allows you to use um, the warm temperature of the tropical waters to boil ammonium and to use that to, to turn turbines. And uh, then you've got to reduce the amount of energy that is consumed at the end and make it more efficient. Now, I'm all about making things more efficient. I, I I do that every day. I do it as part of my practice. I look at all of the uh, steps that go through greeting a client to the point that uh, they have a good quality airtight trust or will in place, and I want to make that as efficient as possible, both for um, the client, and so they, they are rest assured and, and go through a process that's that's fairly easy, and for my end, so my my staff can do something that they feel like is satisfying, and so at the end of the day, I can actually walk home with a nickel in my pocket and, and make a profit. And so I'm all about efficiency, but the efficiency that she talked about was disturbing here because it talked about 
integrating all of our homes together with um, the rest of commercial buildings and all electricity uses and having um, smart, whether they're light bulbs or toasters or microwaves, um, they are these things that are run by microchips and they determine how much electricity is, is optimal for the output to run the appliances within your home. So if your refrigerator says, hey, it's too cold, you know, like I, I like my milk cold, right? But if it says, hey, you know what, the rest of the community around us is having a hard time, we need to, to lower or raise the temperature, it's going to do that without my consent. Theoretically, yes. Yeah. And so, and, and, and they don't state as much in the video, but what they do state is that if, if one house has um, an excess of solar panels and, and another house doesn't have enough to produce for its electrical needs, then it can use the excess from your house to provide for the electrical needs of my house. And if your house is using an excess of electricity, it can prioritize which electrical needs are, are more essential. Now, I would be okay with this if it allowed me to sell it to you, but if uh -huh. it just gives it to you, no, put up your own solar panels. Well, and the thing that, that really concerns me too is every time you put some more technology into my house, you've got <laughs> something that is beyond my ability to, to conceive exactly how it works, and there's more control, and generally there's a central area of control and, and we generally look to the government to be that and so it determines which is the higher priority whose house has a higher priority over the next person's what industry has the next a higher priority over the other industry or what companies and we saw that with the internet we saw that you know not everybody is entitled to the same amount of internet speed the internet companies can sell different speeds based on who they're selling it to yeah. Not on just the dollar amount that that company is paying, that the, that the private company is paying for the internet, but who the company is. They can differentiate. And I find that highly disturbing because if you can control my internet speed, then you can control the amount of uh, information that I obtain and how quickly, and the amount of inf information that I put out into the world and how quickly. And, and so we've already seen it go that way with information. Imagine how much exponentially... Um, powerful the government would be if they could control your energy consumption and, and who had the higher priority there. Well, they would make sure everybody got vaccinated at that point. Right. You know? Otherwise, you don't turn the lights on. Exactly. So that is that was a big concern for me in that movie. Now, something that does not get nearly as much time is nuclear energy that's been around since the 50s. And we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about that. Um, one of my favorite authors is Michael Schellenberger. And he writes Apocalypse Never. We're going to come back with a clip from him uh, after the break. This is 560M, KBLU, Life, Death, and the Law. More thought-provoking conversation coming up next on Life, Death, and the Law, right here after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hansen. 
I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hanson, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back, Yuma. This is Sean Garner. I'm an attorney with Decent Garner and Hanson, and we do estate planning, but today we're talking about energy. And uh, we want to know about the true cost of energy, and we want to talk about true alternatives to our energy. We understand that fossil fuels are um, getting a really bad rap, and I want to put it in perspective. Um, I don't want to just take it for face value that um, electric is electricity is... is uh, more efficiently produced by solar or wind or any other source. So I, I've looked up these on my own and I ended up put together um, an excerpt of what some experts say about electricity. Michael Schellenberger is an expert in the field. He has been, he's dedicated his life to it and he talks about nuclear energy, which I don't think gets nearly enough airtime. So we're going to play a bit. Um, he, he's talking here um, through PragerU. And um, you can go to PragerU.com and look up Schellenberger and you will find this clip. France gets 70% of its power from one carbon-free source. Sweden, 40%. Switzerland, 36%. The United States, 20%. For those who wish to create a world free of carbon emissions, France is clearly the role model. That source of energy, by the way, is not solar or wind. It's not coal, oil, or natural gas either. It's nuclear. Nuclear energy is not only cleaner than all other forms of energy, it's also cheaper to create, abundant, and safe. Yes, safe. So if the world is going to end in a few years because of global warming due to rising CO2 levels, why aren't we going all out to produce this abundant, clean, and safe form of energy? Why aren't there dozens of nuclear power plants in development all over the world? Well, we all know the answer, right? Nuclear energy is just too risky. It's too dangerous. So even though we're told we're facing an existential crisis, which means humans may cease to exist, even though we might all wither away in unbearable heat or starve because of worldwide droughts or drown in rising seas or be killed in Mad Max-style riots, nuclear energy is off the table because it's too darn risky. Hmm. I want to make sure I have this right. The goal is to save humanity. There's a way to save humanity, and we won't take it because we're afraid there might be a bad accident or something? Does that make sense to you? Because it doesn't to me. But maybe I'm not giving enough weight to the safety argument. So let's take a closer look at that, since no one, not even the most radical environmentalist, disputes that nuclear power produces massive amounts of energy cleanly and efficiently. Safety, like everything else, is a matter of context. So here's some context. 1.4 million people die worldwide every year in traffic accidents, 2.3 million in work-related accidents, 4.2 million from air pollution, deaths directly related to nuclear power, under 200, not annually, but in the entire history of the nuclear power industry. 
But what about those famous nuclear disasters we've all heard so much about? Didn't they poison untold thousands? Three Mile Island in 1979, Chernobyl in 1986, Fukushima in 2011. Okay, let's deal with each one. Three Mile Island. There was an accident at that plant, yes. But the amount of radiation that leaked was no more than one might receive taking a chest x-ray. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission acknowledged as much four weeks after the initial media hysteria died down. We goofed, the commission told Congress. There was no danger of any hydrogen explosion. But that didn't grab the headlines. Chernobyl. The accident developed into a catastrophe only because of pitiful safety procedures unique to the Soviet Union. It would never have occurred in the West. Even so, initial reports of radiation leakage turned out to be grossly exaggerated. According to the World Health Organization, as of mid-2005, that's 19 years after the explosion, fewer than 50 deaths had been directly attributed to radiation from the disaster. Fukushima. In 2011, as a result of an earthquake and tsunami, the Fukushima nuclear power plant was destroyed and nuclear radiation was released. Yet despite the media hysteria, not one person at the nuclear plant died because of radiation leaks. The deaths that occurred in the area were the result of the tsunami. Well, what about the nuclear waste? Surely that's terribly harmful. Actually, no. All the nuclear waste ever generated in the U.S. can fit on a single football field stacked less than 70 feet high. It's easily and safely buried in steel canisters encased in concrete. All this information is easily available, but the anti-nuclear movement, with the help of their media allies, have spent a tremendous amount of time and money obscuring the facts. They're more interested in filing lawsuits against this particular form of clean energy than telling the truth about it. Those endless lawsuits have helped make it prohibitively expensive to build new plants or even keep older ones running. Ironically, one of the anti-nuclear groups that now litigates against nuclear energy, the Sierra Club, was once a great proponent. The legendary early leader of the club, Will Seary, saw it as the best chance to preserve wildlife. Cheap nuclear power in unlimited quantities is one of the chief factors in allowing a large, rapidly growing population to preserve wildlands, open space, and lands of high scenic value, he told the club in 1966. He was right then, and he's right now. It would take dozens of wind and solar farms covering thousands of acres of land to match the energy a single nuclear power plant can produce. From both an environmental and clean energy point of view, there's no contest. If you want to save the planet, then you want to go nuclear. If you want to save the planet and you don't want to go nuclear, then you're just full of hot air. I'm Michael Schellenberger, founder and president of Environmental Progress and the author of Apocalypse Never for Prager University. You hear that and you understand my concern and my angst about why isn't this information out there? Why, not even on the conservative right, are we talking more about nuclear energy? Just recently, in the past few months, I've actually started to hear some uh, a few sound bites about nuclear energy, but it hasn't been on par with any of the other alternatives that we've been discussing, and I think it needs to get up there. Apocalypse Never is a wonderful book. Michael Schellenberger, you need to look it up. You need to read this book. It puts things in perspective. And so what I'm trying to get out there, the whole purpose of the show today, is that we need to be good stewards of our environment. We need to be good stewards of our family. We need to be good stewards of our legacies, what we produced for our communities, for the state, for the, for the nation. 
And to do so, we need to know the truth about what we're really investing our time and energy into. Thanks for listening. That's all we have time for today. And we'll talk to you next week on Life, Death, and the Law. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner & Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.